Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Buffalo Bills fans, welcome back to another playoff edition of Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere else you go to get your fine Bills-related podcasts. You know the drill by now. My name is John Boccasino, being joined by Jamie D'Amico here on the Believe podcast. Jamie, great to have you back, buddy. Thank you, my friend. But before we get started, I, I have a question for you. And I don't know, man. Um, so... I want to go back a, a, a little bit, and before we recorded our last podcast, I didn't respond. You sent me a text. I didn't send a, a response back, even though I had written it out. I didn't hit send, and because of that miscommunication, you referred to me as an ass face. And then, after I picked the Bills to lose to the Patriots, which shows you what an idiot I am, I get a text message from you, Mr. Bacchusino, that says, that's what you get for being a Debbie Downer. So my question is, have we entered the point in our relationship where um, familiarity breeds contempt and now I piss you off like I do my wife, my mother, and everybody else I've known for a long time? Wow, I don't think there's enough uh, nickels and quarters you can pay to put in my psychiatrist's jar to answer <laughs> <laughs> that question. There, I mean, you know, look, I, you know, I have to say, uh, when 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 the Bills were thoroughly taking it to the Patriots and up twenty-seven to three at the half, I thought about sending you a message very similar to my. That's what you get for being a Debbie Downer text. But I didn't want to put it in writing. I didn't want to put anything out there in the universe because. You just don't know with Bill Belichick and the football gods what they might have cooked up. Right, right. And, you know, at 27 to 3, I was thinking the same thing you were. I was like, you know, the way the Bills are playing, I don't know if the Patriots even have time to come back at this point. But I didn't want to say anything to anyone. <laughs> we are a superstitious bunch when it comes to uh, to those things. And who can blame you with 20 years of being the whipping boy of Belichick and the Patriots? Uh and, and look, you know, I, I feel like there's no contempt on on this end. I actually like it when we have differing opinions. I think it makes it, you know, for more engaging and uh, intriguing podcast content. I think that nobody wants to hear two people just blindly, you know, agreeing with each other on every topic. So I was actually happy when you took the Patriots last week. I also selfishly was like, all right, this is great content because when the Bills win and the Patriots lose, I can give Jamie a little bit of humble pie and he can eat crow on the podcast. So how does that crow taste, buddy? Oh, delicious, because this is what I wanted to happen. 
<laughs> I didn't want to be right. <laughs> you know, it's 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 funny how um and it was such a, a surgically masterful performance. You know, the the Bills offense pitched a perfect game, uh, scoring touchdowns on all seven of their possessions, not counting the Trubisky kneel down at the end of the game. Um, you know, Josh Allen was electric, but it really the whole momentum of the game swung on one play. And I'm sure I'm sure you know exactly where I'm going with this. Micah, Micah Hyde, Mecca Hyde, Heidi Ho with that interception in the end zone, buddy. Dear Lord, we watched that whole play unfold and you're like, OK, if McCorkle Jones throws a bullet, this game is tied at seven and it's a brand new ball game. And then Micah Hyde, there's an amazing uh, uh, clip that I believe the athletic uh, put out there where it shows frame by frame, moment by moment, the ground that Micah Hyde covered to get back there and not just get back there, but to make an unbelievable leaping interception. Jamie, holy shit. I, that was one of the best momentum swinging plays we have seen as Bills fans. And Somebody very cleverly wrote that 71% of the earth is covered by water and the rest is covered by Micah Hyde because that guy went from playing a single high safety all the way to the far sideline. And I think it was that article that you're mentioning was talking about how Micah Hyde basically saw the play unfolding and didn't even look back for the ball. He couldn't. He didn't have the time. He triangulated in his brain in an instant where that ball was going to land. And he just turned and ran to the spot without following the tra the trajectory of the ball as it was going through the air and snatch right out of the hands, the waiting hands of a receiver. That should have been an easy touchdown. The, the moment that Levi Wallace got burned, you sort of saw it unfold. And it was like, damn it, that's seven for the Patriots. Oh, wait a minute. No, it isn't. It was unbelievable. It, it, was, it was the game over play, and it happened early in the game. Yeah, the Patriots' first drive following an unbelievably impressive, you know, Bills performance. It was interesting, Jamie, to take you inside the collective minds of the 70,000 freezing Bills fans who were at the stadium for that electric atmosphere. When the Bills lost the toss and received the opening kickoff, there was a little bit of a collective <sighs> because we all know that McDermott either likes to do the double dip, uh, which is scoring before the half ends, and then you get the ball and you score to start the third quarter to deliver that demoralizing wham-bam. Thank you, ma'am. Um, but he does not like to get the ball first. And, you know, it was one of those things where everyone's kind of like, oh, boy, all right, well, we're going to get to see what the Bills are really all about and has Belichick made enough adjustments or – is this going to be, you know, big brother Buffalo finally taking it to the Patriots in the playoffs? And when Josh Allen threw that unbelievable 13 second play rolling to his right, and literally it was the longest, I believe it was the longest pass play, not by yardage, but by amount of time the quarterback was upright, scrambling and roaming to find a receiver. And then the fact that Josh says he was trying to throw the ball away it was almost like Dwight Clark snagging Joe Montana's catch in the back of the end zone when Dawson Knox emerged victorious with that touchdown. So you had two unbelievable 
sequences that really affected the outcome of that game and the Josh Allen roll, 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 find Dawson for the touchdown in the back of the end zone. And then Micah Hyde, who, by the way, does have a strong baseball background. He attacked that play like an outfielder tracking the ball's trajectory, even while he's backpedaling uh, to go back up there and get that play, get the interception. I mean, the stage was set from there, my friend. Absolutely was. And then Buffalo just shifted into gear and never looked back. It was the second most dominating playoff performance in Buffalo Bills history behind only the Bills Raiders game in the AFC championship from the 1990 season, which led to the Bills going to their very first Super Bowl. That that game was actually 41 to three at halftime and the Bills ended up scoring 10 more points. But never have I witnessed that kind of domination. It, it was it was unbelievable. There are just a steady stream of statistics that have come out of that game that I'm not going to bore you with right now, but it's eye-opening. It's mind-boggling. Here's one of the the interesting stats that I found that I didn't know was a statistic, but it's potential yardage, which basically it measures the distance from the place where you get the ball to the end zone at the beginning of every drive. And the Bills actually had a potential to move the ball a total of, I think it was 485 yards, and they moved it exactly 485 yards. Didn't that know is, that was a that thing. Is, that is, that's perfection. I mean, when you talk about this game, it's pure perfection. From, I mean, Josh Allen had more touchdowns and incompletions, you know, five touchdowns and four incompletions. I mean, the stats are mind boggling. You're right. But the fact that the Bills marched as far as they could and playing a perfect game, no punts, no failed fourth down conversions, no turnovers, you know, no field goal attempts. I mean, everything they did, the only thing that wasn't perfect was Tyler Bass missing the two extra points and having one doink in. But when you're up you know, 27 to three and 47 to 10. So what? I mean, honestly, yeah, at that matter. point, you know, we're just kind of nitpicking out there. One more thing to throw at you. They didn't have any negative yardage plays. That's what? insane. I that's know. insane. I mean, that is, and, I, and that's, I assume that's not counting the kneel downs towards the end of the that game. That is not counting the kneel downs. That, that's correct. Zero sacks allowed, zero tackles for a loss, only one total hit on Josh Allen. It was the most prolific performance by an offense in playoff history. And again, the fact that it came against Bill Belichick, you know, I it was so delightful imagining him crying on the inside, watching the Bills run roughshod, you know, over his over his over his team. I mean, that was like and the fact that like before the game, there were all these stats from like Pat's pulpit and Patriots fans, how 82 percent of them believed that the Patriots were going to steamroll the Bills. And, you know, Buffalo was a soft team and hadn't played anybody. Yeah, well, if we're soft, what the hell are the Patriots? I mean, that was just such a dominant performance. And it was it was by far the most gratifying win I've ever seen in my life uh, in the stadium to be privileged and pleasured enough to actually get to be there amongst the frozen masses. I mean, it was just a party. You know, we were staying warm by dancing after every touchdown, by high-fiving each other. There was such a sense of euphoria uh, and it really got kickstarted by Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas. I mean, Jimbo was handing out shots of whiskey, apparently, before the game, roaming through the parking lots like he always does. 
and Thurman with his killer dance moves out there. By the time that that ball got kicked off, that place was just unbelievably raucous and it was awesome and I will never forget that experience of being there. Uh, one of the other reasons, by the way, I didn't text you earlier in the game was I was preserving my uh, warmth of my hands and didn't want to yes. risk losing a digit by texting in sub-freezing temperatures. Well, that leads to a question, which was, did you notice the temperature or were you having too much fun? I mean, you, you have to be, you know, have no pulse to not be aware of just how cold it was. But I and one of my buddies, Ian, who came with me, uh, was actually with us also at the Monday night game. We were colder in the Monday night game by far with the 40 to 50 mile an hour wind gusts. You know, the temperature was three, maybe four degrees during the game, but there was literally no wind. For the first time almost all year, we had no wind in the stadium. And so, you know, with all the layers and all the you know, pregame preparations, I mean, I felt toasty warm and I was never really cold uh, until we were leaving the stadium, uh, making the walk uh, back to the car. So, you know, kudos to uh, all those warm weather layer fans that we brought out there that really knew what to do to bundle up <laughs> because it was just one constant party, man. That's just fantastic. And if I wasn't so soft and also getting over COVID, I might have considered going to that game because I happened to be up in Western New York, but I was under the weather and fearing the cold. Well, hey, stay safe, buddy. Glad you are, you're feeling a little better and didn't make it near the stadium because that's the last thing you want to do is, uh, you know, subject yourself to getting sicker when the Bills have a deep playoff run, hopefully in front of them, starting off round two now, Jamie. You knew it was going to be in the stars. You knew these two teams were going to square off. The Bills, the Chiefs, it's round two this year. It's round four of the last two years that Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City are taking on Josh Allen and the Bills. Really, this is the matchup that was deemed to be in the stars uh, from early in the season, and it's the matchup that I think everyone's going to be looking forward to on Sunday night. Two high-scoring, prolific offenses and two defenses that have come very far from that Week 5 matchup. That's where I want to start when it comes to our preview here on Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. If you think the Bills... I Look, it's going to be an awesome game on Sunday night. It's going to be dynamic. It's going to be a close, hard-fought battle. But these teams have changed drastically. What has impressed you most about the way that Kansas City's defense... They were playing at historically poor levels when the teams met up in week five, and now they're just rolling on defense. It is unprecedented for a a unit, offensive or defensive, to improve at the rate that the Kansas City Chiefs did. They are, in the last half of the season, second half of the season, a top five defense. They became a top five defense after being, like you said, not, not only historically bad, but I mean, in the process of setting all time records for futility. And the next thing you know, here they are, especially on the back end of that defense, playing extremely well. I don't know how they did it, to, to be honest with you. They tightened some things up. And I think that the Chiefs as a team had a bit of a Super Bowl hangover. And that's a real thing. If you look at the offense, in the first half of the season, they had 19 turnovers in eight games. That's insane for them. They cleaned that up. That put the defense in a better position. They started getting up on teams instead of having to worry 
about defending both the run and the pass. They were making teams one-dimensional again. That's exactly what the Bills do and is part of their recipe for success. This is a Chiefs defense that didn't concern me in the slightest the first time the two teams played. This is a Chiefs defense that actually concerns me going into this game because they can ball. I don't think we're going to see a seven-touchdown performance against this team. It would be uh, even more uh, surprising if if Josh Allen uh, had a repeat performance. I mean, no one's ever put together that type of performance in the history of the National Football League. But the the Chiefs themselves, you're right, Jamie, they are a much improved unit. And I, as much as we want to talk about the back end and the safety and the corner play, to me, it all starts up front. When the Bills and Chiefs met in week five, Chris Jones, the talented Pro Bowl defensive tackle, he was out with a wrist injury. He was somebody who really was a a persistent pain for Buffalo's offensive line in the two losses in the 2020 season. The Chiefs also traded for Melvin Ingram, who gave Deion Dawkins fits. Now, granted, Deion Dawkins, when he went up against Ingram in week one, when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Dawkins was still recovering from COVID. So I'm going to give that performance a little bit of a pass. But Ingram is still a very talented uh, edge rusher, somebody who can really get after the quarterback. And when you combine that with the fact that Frank Clark uh, is going to be uh, fully healthy again, too, for this team, uh, who had four and a half sacks against uh, this year and two sacks against the Bills in the AFC Championship game. This is going to be a major test for the reworked Buffalo Bills offensive line, which has not given up a sack in the last five games, I believe. Right. But this this defensive line is real, and they're not going to play it the way the Patriots did. The Patriots, for the second game in a row, played mostly a contained pass rush against Josh Allen. They figured that keeping him in the pocket was going to be beneficial to them as opposed to trying to put heat and pressure on Josh Allen, forcing him to start running. We know Josh Allen does great work when he's running out of the pocket. But you also don't want him to stand back there with all kinds of time. And I'm sure that they're looking at at the Bills' performance and Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator of the Chiefs, and Andy Reid are looking at it saying, no. No, we got to force this guy into mistakes. We, we've we seen it on film where Josh Allen will run backwards 20 yards and then fumble the ball. Like, that's what we want to try to force him to do is make those kinds of mistakes because if he does that, we have a chance to win this game. You let him stand in the pocket like, like the Patriots did? Like, let's be honest. I don't think we're ever going to see another team try to play Josh Allen that way again. When it comes to, and there's a lot, Jamie, to unpack uh, during your analysis right there. And I have a lot of places I want to take this conversation on Believe. But before we get to Josh Allen, I want to focus on the the schemes that the Chiefs will bring and the fact that they're going to be more aggressive. They're going to bring their backers on blitzes. They're going to have, again, three very talented edge rushers um, and DTs uh, in Jones, Ingram, and uh, Frank Clark, who can really get after the quarterback. What I I feel pretty confident about how Buffalo's offensive line is going to hold up, especially knowing how well this unit has gelled since Ryan Bates has been inserted into the starting lineup. What's your confidence level on the the big guys up front for Buffalo? It's not confident to the level of my expecting them to play like they did against the Patriots. 
we have seen that they have been a little bit up and down. And let's face it, Chris Jones was really dominant against the Bills last year. The Bills also have different personnel this year. But they're not... The Bills' offensive line isn't where I think it's going to be next season. I think Spencer Brown is still learning some things, and he's going to be the one who's matched up against Chris Jones. Chris Jones is a dirty player. He's an aggressive player. He is strong as a bull, and he also likes taking inside pass rush moves. That is something that Spencer Brown could have a hard time with because Spencer Brown has this tendency to allow pass rushers to get into his pads instead of using those really long arms to keep them at a distance. That is going to play right into the hands of Chris Jones. He's going to need help on that. Frank Clark, he's fast. He's going to he's going to get around Deion Dawkins on occasion. Jaron Reed is solid. Derek Nandi, he's kind of just a guy. Uh, I'm not terribly worried about it. But one of the things that also concerns me is where is Tyron Matthew going to come from? I expect to see him blitzing. And I hope Devin Singletary is aware of that because he's going to have to be the guy who picks up the honey badger when he comes unexpectedly from the defensive backfield. It's one of the many looks that Steve Spagnuolo likes to throw at the opposition as the Chiefs defensive coordinator. But, you know, Jamie, I feel like, I don't know, when it comes to Buffalo's offensive line, again, I really feel like with what Buffalo has been able to do in the running game, that is going to be such a major weapon for this team to take away and neutralize the pass rushers of the Chiefs. I mean, Devin Singletary has come into his own uh, over the last six weeks of the season. The Bills are rushing for more than 160 yards a game. And yes, Josh Allen is going to get his 40, 50, or 60 yards on the ground. But what Motor did, and he didn't come off the field much at all uh, in the win over the Patriots in the wild card round because he's proven himself to be a much better blitz picker-upper than he'd been previously in his career. And that's really, you You said uh, Singletary being able to be aware of the honey badger on blitzes. Well, I think Singletary is very well positioned to handle whatever types of pressure that Spagnolo is going to throw his way just based on what they've done over the last six or seven weeks. And when you combine that with, again, the resurgence in the ground game, and there's an X factor, Jamie, I want to bring to your attention that I think is not getting talked about much that really is spurring on the Bills with their running game success. He's somebody we've talked about sporadically. We mentioned him a lot during the preseason as kind of a a gadget player that could really open up Buffalo's offense when it comes to being more successful running the ball. It's Reggie Gilliam. I want to take a minute to praise Reggie Gilliam for what he has done, especially over the last three weeks. So the first 15 weeks of the season, Reggie Gilliam was on the field about nine offensive snaps per game, um, and he only saw more than 15 snaps three times during the first 15 weeks. The Bills running game was not as great during those first 13, 14, 15 weeks. Since then, Gilliam has been on the field nearly 17 snaps a game as a fullback as Buffalo has gone to heavier sets when they're running their offense. And the design run plays that he is on the field for, Buffalo's averaging 4.73 yards per carry when Gilliam is on the field. That is three-tenths of a yard more per play than when he is not on the field. That might not seem like a lot on the surface, 
But when you magnify that by 20, 25 times the amount of times Buffalo runs the ball, that shit adds up. Absolutely. I love watching the physical brand of his play because, man, when he blocks people, they stay blocked. And he also moves really well. So I like what they have him doing. Remember, this is a guy who came out of college as a tight end. They moved him to fullback. But there's another thing that I want to talk about regarding the the Bills run game. And it's conceptual, but it also has specifically to do with one player. You've you've heard the you've heard the media talk about it. The Bills have changed their blocking scheme. What the Bills were doing last year and the majority of this year was something that their personnel is not suited for. They were doing a zone blocking scheme. And what that means is <clears throat> when you're zone blocking, you basically are moving the entire offensive line in one direction. And if there's a player in front of them, they block that guy. But it is predicated on winning one-on-one battles with the guy in front of you 100% of the time. The Bills have shifted to a pin and pull system. And what that means is they are using the athleticism of the of the lineman, specifically Mitch Morris, to vacate their place on the line and run out in front of the running back as the running back heads toward the designed hole in the offensive line. What that means is that player, that lead blocker who is pulling from his original position is going to have a head of steam when he makes contact with the defensive player that he's supposed to be blocking. Mitch Morris, and there are there are so many plays from two years ago where Mitch Morris was lead blocking for Devin Singletary 10 yards downfield, and it, it was gorgeous. It was one of my favorite things about watching the Bills offense. Well, they're finally doing it again. And once they began doing this, this is when Devin Singletary really took off because, frankly, the offensive line was underperforming with the zone blocking scheme. They are blocking up to their capabilities now. And frankly, I wonder if somebody needs to lose their job over this because it took way too long for them to make this switch. It's really effective and insightful uh, analysis, Jamie, that you're bringing down on what Buffalo has done to become a better running team because all year long, what have we been saying? How dangerous would this Bills team be if they get a complimentary running game to take the pressure so it's not Josh having to be a superhero and win the game by himself week in and week out? And you have to feel so good about the adjustments. And you're right. Maybe a head should roll for not making these adjustments to the blocking schemes earlier. But at least we're not talking about this during the offseason under the woulda, coulda, shoulda umbrella and now the Bills still have a chance to march on and get that first Super Bowl championship and get back to the AFC championship and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, it's all still right there in front for the Buffalo Bills. They really have everything in front of them with their destiny, with what they want to accomplish this year. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. It's been interesting to hear the players talking about this rematch and how they wanted Kansas City. You know, I know they can say whatever they want to say in the media now that we know the matchup, but you know, everyone remembers that photo of Stefan Diggs standing on the on the middle of the field watching the Chiefs celebrate as confetti runs down uh, after the AFC Championship victory last year. And he said that image was going to last with him forever. Uh, A lot of the players have mentioned the comeback factor. I think, Jamie, that this team, the way they're positioned right now, is better, is deeper, is more talented, and is more balanced than the 2020 team that went into Arrowhead Stadium. And you know what? As great as we want to talk about the offensive line and the running backs, and we'll get to the wide receiver room too, they have done a great job this year of giving Josh five phenomenal weapons to choose from. But all of this starts with Josh Allen not letting the moment get too big for him. I am so I was so happy to see him be under control of his emotions, to not be all antsy when it came to playing the Patriots in the wild card round. And that was a situation where the Bills were playing in in crazy cold temperatures. And we debated, you know, how good of a QB Josh is when the weather is that cold. It's going to be cold on Sunday in Kansas City, but he gets to do this on the road where his numbers have been much better uh, this year than when playing at Highmark Stadium. What are your thoughts about Josh and not letting the moment get too big for him? Do you think he's going to continue to be that cool, calm, and collected quarterback? Because I sure hope so. Well, he needs to be. And we've all talked about sugar high Josh Allen in the past. And I hate that Josh guy. Allen, I hate sugar high Josh Allen. No matter how much he could throw a football over the mountains or out of Highmark Stadium, no way. I don't need that. That's the guy who, as I mentioned, runs backwards 20 yards and takes a sack or runs backwards 20 yards and fumbles the ball. You know, that's that's the guy who starts trying to force the ball into small windows and gets picks, who isn't on the same page as his running backs, who stares at the pass rush and doesn't keep his eyes downfield. That's not an effective quarterback. So I have to ask, the Bills... They come and go with Josh Allen. We we know that. When he performs well, the team performs well. But I was looking at a chart of Josh Allen's quarterback rating for the last two years, and I'm sure you've seen this. It plots out on a graph what it has been game to game. And Josh Allen never follows up a dominant performance with a second dominant performance. It's almost like after he does really well, he mentally takes the following week off. Do you think that Josh Allen is going to be fully locked in and playing his best football after having a historic win and a historic performance last week? Yes, I do. And here's here's my long, I can give you the long answer, but I'll give you the short answer uh, to spare our listeners a uh, Boccasino rant here on the podcast. 
everybody has been circling this matchup of, you know, I know the quarterbacks aren't playing each other, but it's a anything you can do, I can do better kind of league. And Josh set the tempo with that perfect performance against the Patriots. While Mahomes was nearly perfect himself, only he had one interception. Uh, he had nine incompletions, only five touchdown passes. So Josh got him beat on both those categories. But Josh Allen, I know he is aware of the criticisms of his play still. And there are still people out there that doubt his ability to step up in big time scenarios against big time defenses on the biggest stage. He had such a horrific effort last year in the AFC championship game. There is no way he is not going to come out and play a great game even against, because here, here's what it is, Jamie. Josh, I think is more evolved as a quarterback this year, he's got better weapons who are healthier this year, too. Remember last year when he had that terrible performance in the AFC Championship game, Cole Beasley was playing on basically a broken leg. Stefan Diggs was banged up and dinged up. Dawson Knox had some nicks and bruises to him that were affecting his ability to play. They didn't have the veteran Emmanuel Sanders. They didn't have a fully healthy Gabriel Davis. And they didn't have the well-rounded Devin Singletary to step up and give the offense the contributions that they need to get to be successful. This Bills team, they know what they need to do. I mean, this is like... I can't even make an apt parallel comparison because it's like, you know, the assignment it's in front of you. It's been there for almost 364 days, 365 days. The bills know what they need to do. The one area, Jamie, that I'm curious to see besides how Josh handles the limelight and the spotlight, which I think he's going to do very well in handling and adjusting to the prime time stage. It's also what the bills receivers are going to do with those grabby sticky coverage plays that the chiefs do because the chiefs love to grab you and hold you and dare the referees to throw the flag for illegal contact, knowing that more often than not, they're going to get away with the contact and you're going to be flustered as a receiver. That's exactly it. The bills, receivers they know that it's coming so what are they going to do to get off of those bumps at the line of scrimmage those chucks 10 yards down the field the uh pulling of the jerseys it's gonna happen do they have it in them to get off of those i think stefan diggs has it in him emmanuel sanders not a big build cole beasley has a terrible time uh, getting off of uh physical presences and we also know that um, Isaiah McKenzie, he also is not a big guy. So to me, Gabriel Davis is going to be the guy who has to make this happen. He can play physically. He can push guys off of him. So if they're going to grab a hold of you and pull on you, push them back. Make, make the refs call it is what I'm going to say on this. Everybody has a game plan until you get popped in the mouth. And I want to see the Bills receivers. So you know Kansas City loves to play their press man coverage. This year, they had the highest percentage of plays in, in press coverage this year at 40% of their defensive snaps. Against the Steelers and the wild card, it, up to 68% of the plays were in that press coverage. So you know that the Chiefs are going to try to be physical and pop the Bills receivers in the mouth. <clears throat> That's where if it takes Buffalo getting a penalty every now and then for physically pushing around the Chiefs corners, they need to send a message that they are not going to take this intimidation tactic 
tactic of Steve Spagnolo and the Honey Badger and their talented corners. They're not going to let themselves get bullied and pushed around this year. If they don't send that message, Jamie, I'm afraid it's going to be a long day for the Bills offense. There's also ways that you can mitigate that schematically. One of the things you can do is you can put your receivers in motion. The motion guy is usually going to get a free release. The other thing they can do is, and it's a, a little bit unorthodox, but you can line up your receivers in the backfield. If you put them behind the line of scrimmage, it's going to be very difficult for the cornerback to find them and get their hands on them. And it might even get you a mismatch where a linebacker ends up trying to cover uh, that person. I'm sure Brian Dable is going to scheme some of those things up, but I agree with you. Fight fire with fire on that front, my friend. You got it. You got to take this. Don't take any shit that, you know, and the Chiefs corners, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're good, but they're not shut down corners. Charvarius Ward is a bigger uh, talent out there. He's a little bit more than six feet tall. I uh, got long arms. He's pretty quick. Mike Hughes is kind of a smaller corner, more of like a Levi Wallace type where he's not fast or is he a really big and physical corner, but he does cover a good amount of space out there. And Legarius Sneed, who I thought was going to get uh, torn to shreds, Last year in the AFC Championship game, uh, he is really one of the more physical uh, guys in the slot. He's going to be giving Cole Beasley or Isaiah McKenzie some real troubles. And he, you know, he there's a quote where he even says how much you know he loves being physical. Receivers don't like it when you put your hands on them. Well, the receivers have been told that this is going to be coming. I know Emmanuel Sanders has addressed this. Stephon Diggs has addressed this. The Bills need to be aware of it. And one way that they could easily counter this is, like you said, get guys in motion pre-snap, have McKenzie line up in the backfield. Heck, have have other receivers take snaps out back there in the threat of either doing a jet sweep or a screen pass or something and use misdirection to keep this defense off balance. I think the Bills have it within them, and I can't wait to see what Brian Dable draws up on Sunday night. It's certainly going to be uh, a great chess match between two very good head coaches and Sean McDermott and Andy Reid, and especially the D coordinators. I mean, Spagnolo and Leslie Frazier are two of the best in the league, and it's going to be fun to watch this all play out here. Um, I feel like they're so evenly matched, Jamie. I feel like, and before we're, we're going to talk about other areas before we get to our score previews, but I, there's no way I see this being a blowout on either side. I feel like they're so – these are like the Ali Frazier fights of the 70s where the heavyweights know each other inside and out. So who's going to have that gadget play? Who's going to have that weird schematic situation where you try something different? Maybe it's a flea flicker. Maybe it's some sort of you know a, a touchdown to the big boy Tommy Doyle that's going to keep the opponent off guard. The creativity and the play calling is going to go a long way on Sunday. Absolutely it is. And I hope that especially Brian Dable is 100% locked in for this game because Brian Dable may be thinking about his future more than he's thinking about the game in front of us. It was just announced that um, somebody from the Bills front office, what is his name? Not Brian Gain. The other guy, uh, Joe, Joe Shane or Joe Shone. Yes. Has accepted the general manager position with the New York Giants. And it's been rumored that it's a package deal of one of the Bills coordinators to go with him. And I'm leaning toward that being Brian Dable. So is Brian Dable's head going to be in the game? 
I hope to God it is. I mean, my goodness, like, you know, you can, first of all, you can prepare for your interview with the Giants on, you know, first of all, they, they can't, you know, you can't interview anymore with current candidates until your team has either been eliminated or you've won the Super Bowl. His head's going to be in the game because it's not like he has a calendar appointment on his outlook saying meet with Giants for head coaching vacancy Monday morning. I mean, he has no excuses not to be focused. And I look at what he's done with this offense, he being Brian Dable over the last six weeks in particular. The Bills are being more creative with their play calling. Their red zone offense has been absolutely on fire the last six weeks of the season. And again, these are all things Andy Reid is an offensive play calling genius. He might be a terrible clock manager, but he is really good at calling up plays. I think Brian Dable has to be his equal on Sunday night, and the Bills have all the weapons. So we've really extensively covered Buffalo's offense when they have the ball against the Chiefs defense. Now let's switch sides of the field and go to Patrick Mahomes. We all know how great he is. We all know how great Travis Kelsey is and Tyreek Hill. This Chiefs team clearly is clicking at all cylinders right now. If you're Leslie Frazier, what are you trying to do to be successful like you were in week five when the Chiefs did not get those big plays downfield? They only had, I think, one play of more than 20 yards. This game, to me, is going to be decided with the Chiefs on offense between five and 20 yards of the line of scrimmage. The Chiefs are unbelievable at scripting and designing plays for their receivers to run after the catch. And these guys are track stars. Nicole Hardman, Tyreek Hill, like you said, they are so fast. And we all know that Travis Kelsey, who is a surefire Hall of Famer, is a matchup nightmare between his size and his speed. Like, you just can't cover the guy. So what the Bills need to do is they need to be sure that they have players there to assist whoever is covering these guys to meet them and triangulate. And I, here I am using that word again. Triangulate the the receiver's path and make sure somebody is there to step up and pop them in the mouth when they do come up with the ball. Because if you're running behind these guys and there's nobody to provide help, they will end up running for days. Now, I'm glad you asked the question the way you did because, John, they have played what? This will be the fourth time in two years. The three previous games, you have asked me, so what are the Bills going to do to slow down the Chiefs? And my answer has always been, I don't know. (laughs) Like, they're not really a, a team that you can slow down, you hope to just mitigate the worst of it. Um, But that, to me, is where it's going to happen. And it all has to be on the back end with the back seven because the Bills' defensive line is not going to make a dent when it comes to pass rush against the Chiefs' offensive line. You don't think so? You don't think that this rejuvenated front four is going to get any sort of pressure on Mahomes? None whatsoever. I don't I don't see them as being rejuvenated. Um, I, I think that between Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, there's just way too much talent on the Chiefs' offensive line. They've been good all season. The Bills' defensive line has not. They have only really shown up against overmatched opponents. And this is a team that has more 
significantly more talent up front than the Bills D-line. Interesting because, you know, back in week five, when the Bills didn't come after Mahomes with a single solitary blitz, they solely brought their four defensive linemen, defensive tackles, and they registered 25 total pressures on Mahomes and two sacks. Jerry Hughes himself had eight uh, pressures on Mahomes. Again, they got to him consistently. I'm going to strongly disagree, and I'm going to say as much as I feel like the Bills are going to at least get one and a half, maybe two sacks on Mahomes uh, on Sunday. I feel like their offensive line is really good, don't get me wrong, but there's something about the way this Bills defense is playing right now. They The defensive line knows they've got to make up for Trey White not being back there. They don't have a Trey White as their lockdown corner. And you know, besides the fact this is going to be the biggest test of the year for Levi Wallace, for Dane Jackson, for Taron Johnson, and the rest of the Bills secondary, who's going to step up to make sure that there's a little bit less pressure to give up those deep plays? It's got to come from Jerry Hughes. It's got to come from Ed Oliver. It's got to come from Greg Rousseau and AJ Epinesa. Rousseau was going back to the scene of his best game or arguably his best game of his young career. That Sunday night game against the Chiefs. I don't know, Jamie. I feel like the Chiefs have a great offensive line. But they're not like this, you know, immovable target that can't be had. I mean, I feel like the Chiefs are are they can definitely be be bull rushed a little bit. The Chiefs were a different team in week five than they are now. They were turning the ball over. They weren't keeping Mahomes upright. The defense was awful. It was putting and the offense turning the ball over is putting the defense in these terrible binds. They're not playing the same way they were. They're they're just they're significantly better. And if the Bills think that they're going to get four turnovers uh, again against this team, they're mistaken. Um, but you're right. The Bills are going to have to do it with four guys rushing the passer because you need all hands on deck when it comes to coverage against this team. And honestly, I think that you're going to see you're going to see this Chiefs team probably bring extra receivers onto the field. I think that you're going to have you're going to have Travis Kelsey split out and you're always going to see a minimum of uh three wideouts. You might even see four. They may figure out ways of getting DeMarcus Robinson and Josh Gordon on the field and if you're them, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, that way you've got either Saran Neal or uh Cam Lewis coming off the bench. If I'm Andy Reid, I want to roll my dice uh, playing against those guys. You know, you're right. There's definitely an advantage for the weapons that Kansas City have. And and we didn't even mention one of their more unsung weapons in Jarek McKinnon, who has really had a resurgent uh, effort uh, for the Chiefs. He came over um, after signing a big contract with the Niners. He was signed uh, by the Chiefs, and he had 142 total yards and a touchdown in the wild card win over the Steelers. He's another one of those speedy backs who can catch it out of the backfield or do some damage on the inside zone runs, which is really where Kansas City makes their living when it comes to running the game. And we know the Bills are light on the inside. The, our physical rushing attack can push them around. But all year long, Jamie, I feel like the Bills defense has just been answering the doubters. You know, this is one of those things where, again, the Bills are going to have to do a, a good job of stopping the run to the outside. It's going to take a team effort to contain those zone runs up the middle. And one of the wild card factors I think the Bills will have to deploy if they want to be successful, besides getting their pressure from up front, you're going to see a lot of cover four schemes from the Bills 
on those really big pressure situations, the crucial third downs, the red zone fourth down efforts, uh, sorry, the fourth down efforts when the Chiefs need to get a touchdown or need to convert. But they also are going to do a good job, I think, of disguising their coverages with some more cover one schemes as well when you've got the Micah Hyde or the Jordan Poyer as your deep safety and as a robber out of that too deep situation to really try to limit the big plays over the top. I don't know, Jamie. I just Maybe I'm overly confident, but I feel like everything has led up to this game. Everything the Bills have done has led up to beating the Chiefs, and I don't see it being a letdown on Sunday night. Maybe I'm going to be in for a big disappointment, but I don't know. I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. The Bills are on the upswing. And it looked to me a few weeks ago like, hey, wait a minute, this team is peaking at the right time. This is exactly what last year's Super Bowl winner, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, did. They peaked in the playoffs. The Bills are going exactly that direction. And I'm going to I'm going to make a bold prediction, not about this game specifically, uh, the winner of this game, I should say, but the winner who the team that pulls this one out on Sunday will probably end up representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. I wish I had a siren for a hot take right there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's definitely, you know, I mean, I feel like this is the marquee matchup. Um, I mean, there's some great matchups across the league on this weekend, but definitely the AFC, this is your marquee matchup. Uh, You know, you get the Bills and the Chiefs in Arrowhead primetime Sunday night. The Bills, I think, Jamie, we haven't even talked about this. One of the X factors in this whole game is the fact that the Bills made the right decision. They are not playing with the white tops and the blue pants, which has been (laughs) the death knell of this team in the playoffs. It has, hasn't it? Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's really funny that I have such an association of a great uniform combination with losing because the white on blue looks awesome. I mean, it's throwback to the OJ days in the 70s. Why can't they win with that combination? Maybe it's because of the curse of OJ. Uh, hey there, Bills fans. It's your old friend, OJ. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most aggressive I've ever heard you, my friend, and I liked it. <laughs> well, I know, Jamie, that uh, as we're sitting here talking on Bill Eve, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast, we are getting you ready for the massive showdown under the lights on Sunday night. I got a feeling where you're going to head with this, but tell me your, give me your prediction for the game, and are you going to be, uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on who's going to win this game? Well, I think that there's another factor that we haven't talked about, which is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire being back in the game. And Jarek McKinnon has been playing quite well in place of him. But I, I think that brings another facet to the team that that they had been missing recently. The Chiefs have been up and down this year. And they've definitely been more up late in the season than they were early in the season. And I... I have not seen this Buffalo Bills team as being the type of team that is Super Bowl bound this year. I I felt like they had far too many warts. And I just don't have it in me to say that they're going to go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl with what they've been doing up to this point. But I also think that they have momentum that few other teams do at this point. So I think we're going to see the Bills win 38-35. 
I almost did a spit take with my water there. I did not think you were going to pick the Buffaloes to emerge triumphant in the uh, in the divisional round. Were you trying to psych yourself up during the whole episode, doing the whole, hey, I'm going to say one thing, but then my heart really tells me to go the other way? Uh, I wasn't planning on it, but that's the reality of what happened. Man, we you could tell we've done the show together for a long time because you like understand how my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go back to the couple's counseling and whether we need to have any sort of a psychiatrist treat Jamie and I for post-depression when it comes to Bills when they lose and hopefully when they win on Sunday. So you're picking the Bills to win. I love it. A shootout. Here's why I also think the Bills are going to win this game. Because you're a homer? I am a homer for sure. (laughs) I make no qualms about that, but I try to be a homer who has a little bit of analysis and insight to bring to the table. And as much as we want to laud the Chiefs for having a much improved defense since week five, the Bills have just as well of a defense when it comes to being improved uh, over the last half of the season. The Bills have also shored up their biggest weakness, which was the running game. Do you know where the Chiefs are extremely vulnerable The running game on defense, they give up the second most yards per carry of any team in the NFL, which means Josh Allen and Devin Singletary can really exploit the Chiefs and get big plays on the ground. It takes pressure off of Josh Allen. I like everything that I've seen so far about this team. When they beat the Patriots in the wild card round, you didn't hear people hooting and hollering in the locker room. It was more, okay. We beat the Patriots. It felt good, but it's one game. It's one game on our destination to try to win this Super Bowl. I think the Bills are focused. I think they're driven. I think Josh Allen is a different quarterback than he was last year. I feel like there's just something about beating Kansas City in Arrowhead earlier this year was a huge victory for Buffalo to slay the demons of losing in a hostile environment. They're going to be used to whatever crowd noise throws at them. I think Josh is playing better for some reason on the road than at home this year. I think the Bills have a more veteran wide receiver group that can handle the physical sticky coverage that Kansas City is going to throw their way. And I just, I see Buffalo winning. I see Buffalo pulling this one out 31 to 30. It's going to be a nail biter. It's going to be a hold on to the edge of your seat kind of game. But this is the revenge tour 2021 edition. You knocked off your bitter rivals for the Patriots in the wild card round. You got a team that crushed your Super Bowl dreams last year and has really been the the ruler of the AFC for the last couple of years in the Chiefs. And hopefully the Bills take care of their business because I want to have a chance at Buffalo hopefully hosting the AFC championship game when the Bengals knock off the Titans. Oh my gosh. And I, I feel like that's bound to happen. I've been so impressed by the Bengals lately. That offense has been nothing short of awe-inspiring. Oh man, I, I was really, I, I have to tell you, and I know this is off the subject, but I was really pulling for a Bengals Chargers matchup in the first round. But unfortunately, the Chargers head coach kind of blew it for them in that game. But man, side note, we are in an AFC quarterback renaissance right now. And we as fans need to step back and appreciate what it is that we're seeing right now. Oh my gosh, with Joe Burrow, with Justin Herbert, with Patrick Mahomes, with Josh Allen, you know, there's so many great quarterbacks that are taking over the AFC right now. And then there's Zach Wilson, and then there's, you know, whoever the hell uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to start next year. I mean, there's a real chasm between the haves and the have-nots, but the cream of the crop 
in the quarterback class in the AFC certainly is something uh, to behold. Uh, and you're going to see, I mean, listen, you're going to get your money's worth on Sunday night with Mahomes v. Allen round four. Uh, phenomenal matchup out there. The winner gets to go to the AFC championship game. The loser season comes to an end. We want to hear your thoughts on this matchup. Jamie and I both picked the Bills to win in a high-scoring affair. I don't care if the Bills win 3-2. to two. Just get Buffalo to the AFC championship game. Give us your thoughts on this matchup on Twitter. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico, and I am at John Boccasino. It's been our privilege and our pleasure having you here on Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. We'll hopefully be talking to you next week about Buffalo in the AFC championship game. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.